Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go die and go to hell. I'm not alone. Down for 911, where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. The pretty one, look. Talk to me, look. Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're male Carl Williams fans. Look, I'll be tail with this and just pull it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would, who, 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 whose life would be. I harm someone each time I kill someone to be an enormous amount. Especially at first, an enormous amount of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again to come back even stronger. After 34-year-old beauty therapist and mother of two, Novi Chardon, went missing from her Gold Coast home in February 2013, her husband John wasn't even slightly concerned. He made sexual advances to her friends who came looking for her and didn't bother reporting his fifth wife's disappearance to the police. The day she vanished, Novi's divorce lawyer had sent John an email saying she wanted half his assets in the settlement. Interestingly enough, this is almost exactly what had happened before Chardon's first wife, Maureen, died of a suspicious overdose 17 years earlier. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. As a comedy true crime podcast, we sometimes use humour to lighten up horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their loved ones. Yeah, because murder ain't funny. It's not, but sometimes what happens around it can be quite ridiculous. If you think comedy has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder may not be the podcast for you. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We've had quite a few new ones join our fancy Patreon program, which we will thank individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to dozens of other episodes, including our sublimely rough as guts first season and ad-free versions of all our regular episodes. As a patron, you'll also have access to exclusive patron-only episodes where we pretty much do what we do in the regular episodes 
But pants are optional. However, jorts are mandatory. It's confusing. Levels above $5 receive stickers and handmade Barney badges. And levels $10 and above get a selection of bloody legendary merchandise. And some remote Barney hugs. I'll also pass you a towel as you get out of the shower. He keeps promising to do that. It hasn't happened yet, but I believe him when he says he will. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. It's hard to know where to start when talking about a vile excuse for a human being like John Chardon. Do we start with the suspicious 2013 disappearance of his wife, Novi, and the fact that he told media at the time that his missing wife should get her stupid bloody ass home? Maybe we should start with a police interview where he told them his missing wife, Novi, dressed like a hooker and had fat Thighs. Or do we start with the suspicious death of his first wife, Maureen? Perhaps we should begin with the details of how he groomed and then raped his daughter's teenage friend. Oh, we could jump instead to the part where he sexually abuses a seven-year-old girl. Ugh. Maybe we should open with the fact he was prison pals with wife killer Gerard Baden-Clay and boasted to other inmates how he could have gotten away with killing his wife, Alison. Or possibly we should start with the alleged confession to both his wives' murders that he made to his prison buddy, notorious conman Peter Foster. We could go straight to the part where he offers a Filipino man money to kill Novi. Or detail what he called his philanthropy work, where he paid for young female students from the Philippines to attend college in exchange for having sex with him. Oh, Tara, so many choices. I know, it's hard to know what to do with this carnival of horrors, so I guess we may as well just start at the beginning. According to the Gold Coast Bulletin, before he made his fortune, John Chardon was a mechanic who often complained that he could never get a good WD lubricant spray. Oh, tell me about it. Seeing a hole in the market for specialist slippery stuff, in early 1987, Chardon began experimenting with different formulas for Inox lubricants in aerosol sample cans. Knowing what I do about John Chardon, it does not surprise me that he'd need to invent a stronger lubricant. Oh yes, Tara, there's no lubricant in the world strong enough to maintain any moisture while dealing with this guy. Mm-hmm. That being said, the kind of lubricant he made his fortune off was actually for mechanical parts. Eventually, Inox developed a large range of lubricants and exported them to 25 countries. Because of this, John Chardon is often referred to in the media as a lubricant tycoon. I'd rather be a chicken millionaire. I'd rather be anyone but this guy. Chardon's first wife, Maureen Monica Chardon, died of a suspicious sleeping pill overdose on June 23, 1996, at the age of 40. She and John had two daughters together, Candace and Angela. Maureen's death was written off as a suicide, despite there being no note and those close to Maureen saying she wouldn't take her own life. Family members said Maureen was fed up with Chardon's constant cheating and mongrel ways. She confronted him about his wandering penis and told him soon before her untimely death that she planned on leaving him and threatened to make sure she got half of his assets. Which is also what happened to Chardon's fifth wife, Novi, just before she disappeared. Yeah, the parallels are startling. Maureen had clearly told family that it was her wish to be buried in the event of her death. So as a posthumous fuck you to the mother of his daughters, Chardon had her body cremated. Chardon met his fifth wife, Novi, when he was on business in Indonesia in 2001. 
24-year-old Novi was working in guest relations for a Sheraton hotel and 55-year-old Chardon was on a constant quest to have sexual conquests with women of Asian descent. Hey, baby, are you on AsianMatch.com? He certainly was. The couple only knew each other for a month before getting married and Novi moving to Australia to live on the Gold Coast with Chardon. They had their daughter two years after they were married and a son two years after that. When the children started school, Novi was able to devote more time to her career as a beauty therapist. Like a lot of wealthy businessmen who like to hide their assets for tax purposes, Chardon made Novi a co-director and shareholder of his business Candan Industries Proprietary Limited in October 2002. Over the years, Novi and Chardon's relationship deteriorated. Novi's close friend Deborah Mandepesi later said in court, many times I asked her, what do you see in him? Because you're an intelligent woman. You know you're beautiful. And she genuinely, genuinely loved him. And she said he was a different man when she met him, but it all changed. Chardon travelled overseas a lot for business. Novi's friend Deborah later said in court, Novi had told her Chardon was having sex with other women when he went to Indonesia, including children aged 16 and 17. Novi's friend Jane Padden supported these claims, saying when he went abroad, he would have girlfriends in the Philippines, and when he went to America, he had seen prostitutes. By 2012, Novi had had enough of Chardon's cheating and controlling ways, and the couple separated, though they still lived in the same house, but with separate bedrooms. After going down a web sleuth's rabbit hole, I was able to find Novi's Facebook page. Um, It's still up, and it was very haunting just looking through it. It's filled with happy pictures of her kids and her family and status updates about taking the kids to dinner, taking them to a water park and going to see fireworks with them. She was clearly a loving and devoted mother whose life revolved around her two young children. Her status update on Christmas Day 2012, under six weeks before she disappeared, said, I've got the most precious gift from Santa, which is kisses and cuddles and spending time opening Christmas prezzies with my babies. Oh. Yeah. Novi took the kids on a trip to Indonesia in January 2013. While she was gone, Chardon claimed someone had broken into their house and stolen his pistol. Hmm. Just his pistol? Yep, they left their expensive jewellery and all of their state-of-the-art appliances and their vehicles, just the pistol. Less than a month before her mysterious disappearance, 34-year-old Novi told friends and family that there was no sign of a break-in at their house and that she was afraid of her husband, especially now that his gun had been stolen. The Gold Coast Bulletin posted a timeline of Novi's known movements on February 6, 2013, which is the last day she was ever seen. At 10.40am, Novi met up with friends at Madison's Cafe in Broadbeach on the Gold Coast. At 12.30pm, Novi and a friend went to a meeting with Novi's divorce lawyer. A letter was drafted detailing a substantial amount of assets from the marriage, including the Upper Coomera home. At 3pm, Novi went to pick up her kids from school. At 3.06pm, Novi's lawyer sent the letter of settlement to John Chardon via email. Chardon had offered Novi a $5 million settlement, but she was advised she could get a better deal. The new letter of settlement stated Novi wished to receive half of Chardon's assets. 
At 5.15pm, the alarm system for Camden Industries, which was Chardon's business, was armed. At 5.43pm, John Chardon called Novi from their home phone. At 6.58pm, the alarm system for Camden Industries was disarmed. CCTV from the premises showed Chardon arriving in his black 2010 Toyota Land Cruiser. He unlocked the gate and parked his car outside the entrance to the main office. It wasn't possible to see from the footage if there was anyone else in the car with him, but you did see Chardon scurry inside the office to pick something up before locking up again. At 6.59pm, the alarm system for Candon Industries was armed again. At 7pm, Novi, with her daughter, went to a friend's place. The friend completed an affidavit to assist with her divorce proceedings. At 8.30pm, Novi and her friend went to Officeworks at Southport to print the affidavit. At 8.50pm, Novi and her friend went to the Chardon family home to drop off her daughter. John was in the garage at the time. At 9pm, Novi and her friend went to McDonald's to buy chocolate frappes. Yum! (laughs) Then Novi and a group of friends went for a late dinner at a Thai restaurant in Runaway Bay. Novi arrived home at around 10.30pm and was never seen again. Novi was meant to meet up with some friends the next day. When she didn't show up and nobody could reach her by phone, Novi's best friend Frederica Wong went to Chardon and Novi's house looking for her. She found Novi wasn't home and her car wasn't there either. According to court documents, when Frederica spoke to Chardon, he didn't seem at all concerned that his wife was missing and complained to her that Novi didn't do enough housework. He asked Frederica if she wanted to take any of Novi's designer handbags from her bedroom. Frederica later told the court, He said I could choose any of the bags I wanted, and I said, No, I don't want any of that. It belongs to Novi. He then asked his missing wife's best friend if her husband made her happy before telling her he was a good pussy licker. What? Uh, He went on to tell the concerned woman that he could make her come again and again. Wanting to remove herself from this icky situation, Frederica told Chardon, I have to leave now, and quickly left the premises. I think I have to leave now. Can I quickly leave the premises? I, I would also like to leave the premises because it, it doesn't actually get any better. It just gets worse. Frederica went on to tell the court that Chardon was always rude and saying sexual things, and that was the reason he didn't have any friends. Well, it was one of the reasons. Novi's friend Deborah later said in court that she'd spoken to Chardon about where his wife had gone in the days after her disappearance. Not only did he tell her that Novi was evil and greedy, but he also said she'd taken off and left him and her children. Which makes no sense. Why would you just take off before the divorce settlement? Wouldn't you take off after the divorce settlement? As part of his work with a slippery range of lubricants... The slippery-as-fuck Chardon would often fly to Indonesia for business. On February 8, two days after Novi vanished, he took the couple's children on a two-week overseas business trip. He had not planned to take the kids with him and bought their tickets at the last minute. He commented to media at the time his missing wife should get her stupid bloody ass home. He's really not doing a very convincing job at pretending to be concerned about Novi, is he? No. Scott Peterson will be hearing this and going, WT fuck, dude. Yeah, Chris Watts is even like, come on, at least make some kind of effort to seem worried. On February 9, one of Novi's friends reported her missing to the police, explaining they hadn't seen or heard from her in two days and that was very unusual. The police started looking into Novi's whereabouts and learned Chardon had taken the children overseas. 
Senior Sergeant Proctor told the Gold Coast Bulletin, We made inquiries with the school, all those stock standard inquiries. It was ascertained there was something very suspicious about the whole thing. Novi's friend provided information that she was taking steps to finalise their divorce. There was a demand of him to leave the house and she was taking half of everything, including the business, and that occurred on the day she went missing. Obviously, that's red flags for everybody. On February 10, police declared a crime scene at the Chardon's property at 93 93 Bridie Drive, Upper Coomera. When they spoke to neighbours, one reported hearing what they thought was a muffled gunshot late on the night of February 6th. Senior Sergeant Proctor said, We spoke to John Chardon from Indonesia. He provided a story that he didn't know where she was and that she was always in and out, flying around, and that she would be around somewhere. There was nothing to worry about. However, all these other people were saying this was not the case, that she would never take the kids out of school. We checked with the school and they'd never been out before and all of a sudden the kids are in Indonesia with John and their tickets were bought hours before the flight. This indicates there was no plan to take them, but they had to go at the last minute, which also raised red flags. Novi's handbag with her bank cards, cash and passports were found at the couple's house and her bank accounts hadn't been used since February 6th. See, when I hear those details, it always makes me think it's most likely a missing woman has been killed. Yeah, I agree. Senior Sergeant Proctor said they also discovered that Chardon had been doing some intensive cleaning, saying... We ascertained that on the morning of the 7th, John had hired a carpet cleaner and he used products like ammonia and things like that to clean an area in Novi's bedroom. Proctor also noted, a large section of carpet was cut out and it was tested. There was no blood present, but there was a large spill of urine on the carpet, which is what he was trying to clean up. I believe that's where Novi was killed. We can only assume she was either smothered or strangled or something like that, something that didn't involve a lot of blood. On February 11th, Novi's midnight blue Volvo four-wheel drive wagon was located in Bowdoin Street in Narang, which was about a 20-minute drive from her house. Police were able to get CCTV footage of the car being moved. It was moved on the 8th, which was around the time Chardon would have been at the airport with their kids heading to Indonesia. The police still don't know who moved the car, but they believe Chardon paid someone to do it to help give him an alibi and make it look like somebody else was involved. Unfortunately, a search of Novi's car yielded no helpful clues. For the next two weeks, police and SES crews conducted many searches for Novi, including bushland close to the Chardon home, Chardon's business, Candon Industries, and parts of the Narang River. On February 25th, Chardon and the children flew back from Indonesia and police were finally able to interview him in depth. Excerpts from his astonishing interview with police were later published by the Courier-Mail. Chardon claimed he didn't know what happened to Novi after she had dinner with friends on the night of February 6th. He told police he had not gone out that evening and had taken a sleeping pill and fallen asleep early. When the police looked into his story, they discovered it was total bullshit, Tara. They found CCTV footage from his factory in Logan home, showing him going into the business, picking something up, and leaving one minute later before returning to the house. So what do you think he picked up? 
Oh, his copy of Pretending You Didn't Murder Your Wife for Dummies? <laughs> well, he obviously didn't read it. I don't think he even looked at the pictures. I believe he picked up his allegedly stolen pistol. Yeah, that's my thinking too. When police searched Chardon's phone records, they found he had called and texted several people, including his older daughter from a previous marriage, at 1am, when he claimed to be asleep and under the influence of a sleeping tablet. Lying to the police about your whereabouts is pretty damning, but not nearly as damning as the way he spoke to them about Novi. Not only did he show no concern for her welfare, but he also atomically sledged her to the cops. When asked about the last time he saw his wife, Chardon told the officers, She turned and looked at me and said, I've got to go away, or I'm going away, because Navy could speak good English, but she's got no bloody comprehension. Throughout the interview, he told police his wife was narcissistic and crazy, and that no one takes too much notice when she talks. God, I hate him. What a gaslighting cunt. Ugh, he's evil. He's actually... Just low, low, bottom-feeding grossness. During the almost two-hour-long interview, Chardon claimed he suffered from temporary amnesia because his brain was too active and sometimes shuts down. Is that even a thing? No, it isn't, Tara, but don't worry because he went on to contradict himself by saying, I just have an extremely good memory. Like when I was tested earlier, I was just about 75% photographic. Okay, so let me get this straight. His brain is too active, so it shuts down and it gives him amnesia, but he has a photographic memory. Yeah, that's what he said, yeah. Ugh. When asked what Novi was wearing the night she vanished, Chardon told police, Oh, I think she had shorts on, because that's the thing with Novi in shorts. She always looked bloody terrible. I'm serious. That's what I always said to her. Don't wear shorts. Makes you look like a bloody hooker. Oh, Chris Dawson is shaking his head in disbelief at this shit show. Uh, but wait, there's more. Chardon went on to say, and that's why I noticed it, because she always looked bloody terrible, because her legs were always too big at the top, right? And I always said to her, I wish you wouldn't wear those, because you always look like a hooker. She didn't like me saying that, but you know, I always speak my mind. So, for the benefit of our listeners, was Chardon a perfect physical specimen? No, he was a tubby, revolting old cunt and there was nothing at all wrong with Novi's thighs. That's got to be one of the most ridiculous police interviews I've ever heard. I know, it's baffling. It's baffling. Despite the suspicions caused by Chardon's narcissistic and crazy police interview, the authorities couldn't arrest him for Novi's murder without more evidence and that was going to take a lot more time. A year into the investigation, police were told about a man in the Philippines named Marshall Aguilar who worked for Chardon and had some damning information about the case. Marshall later gave evidence in court that John Chardon had approached him and asked him to find someone to kill Novi while they were on holidays in the Philippines and Thailand. Chardon said he would pay $10,000 US for somebody to murder her. He told Marshall they should throw Novi's body off a cliff or hide it in a cave. He also asked Marshall to get him a gun. Western Union money transfers later presented at Chardon's murder trial show that Chardon paid Marshall $2,500 in April 2012. The same day, Marshall sent him an email with a picture of a gun attached to it and asked, How do you like this one, mate? 
Marshall also told police Chardon paid the expenses of six young female students in the Philippines. Chardon allegedly told him that he helped the students financially, but when he came to the Philippines, it was payback time. Marshall later said in court, he said he doesn't mind about helping, giving them the best that he can give. They can go to expensive schools, but he said, if I'm in the Philippines, I want my favour. I want to have sex with them. Chardon asked him to arrange sex meetings for him when he visited the Philippines and told him, they shouldn't be fussy. I want to take them to bed. Ideally, he wanted these female students to be virgins and that they must provide him with anything he requested of them sexually. As the investigation into Novi's vanishing continued on, it became increasingly clear the mother of two had been murdered. Police dug up several locations looking for her body. They also re-interviewed numerous people of interest they believe were connected to the case. On March 13, 2014, police issued a $250,000 reward for any information which could lead to the arrest of Novi's killer. All the while, Chardon had been free to frolic about and exploit anyone he wanted to. But the bastard's luck was finally about to change. We'll be back with the conclusion of the dead wives of a lubricant tycoon after this. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. All right, Barney, what time is it? It's True Crime Nerd Time. True Crime Nerd Time. True Crime Nerd Time. True Crime Nerd Time. I love True Crime. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true or fiction crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your crime-obsessed itch. Are you itchy, Tara? There's nodding going on, by the way, (laughs) listeners. (laughs) You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it, and we'll read it out. And we have one here from our most prolific new contributor, Keely Johnson. And she wrote to us about the podcast True Crime Campfire. And she writes, The podcast True Crime Campfire is one of my favourites. Much like Bloody Murder, it mixes humour with true crime. But as they are very well-educated English majors, it has a different flair to it. Oh, excuse me? Uh, Intelligence. (laughs) 
oh, I, I think I think she might be saying we're not very bright. No, that's impossible. That at all, <laughs> or maybe she is. I don't care. I'm not bright enough to know. Nothing like listening to smart girls calling people twats and also calling to throw them in the true crime campfire wood chipper, like Steve Buscemi in Fargo. Mm, messy. Messy. If you heard my last nerd time recommendation, I gave you a bit of a taste of their style by quoting their calling Ted Bunny the pumpkin spice basic bitch of serial killers. That is a good line. Much like bloody murder, they try and find lesser known stories and try to be an advocate for less highlighted victims. Though similar to bloody murder in theming, they are actually quite different and a true joy to listen to. <laughs> That's where they're different to us. <laughs> in their own rights. <laughs> That was a bad pause. I ruined that sentence. <laughs> no, I'm happy with it. I am very picky about my podcast, and this is one of three, you guys included, that I am a patron of. And seeing as I am a teacher, it says a lot I am willing to give someone my meagre earnings. Yeah, teachers deserve to be paid more. And also, thank you. You're the true hero here, Keely. Yeah. I also really appreciate them and Bloody Murder's ability to keep politics out of true crime. I listen to escape that nonsense, not to hear more of it. So if this sounds like your style, I very highly recommend them to any Bloody Murder fans. Lots of love, Keely Johnson from Texas. Actually, she just signed it, Keely Johnson from Texas. I put in the lots of love. Oh, really? You wanted to lay it on a bit thick, did you? I don't know. I just, yeah. Thanks, Keely. That podcast is True Crime Campfire, the details of which will be in the show notes. Now, if you'd like to submit to True Crime Nerd Time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. You could be famous like Keely. Woohoo! Woohoo! Hello, tipsters. This is Melissa Morgan, the host of Just the Tipsters, America's favorite true crime podcast because people are awful and kill each other. Hi, tipsters. This is Melissa Morgan, host of Just the Tipsters, America's favorite true crime podcast. Have you ever wanted to kill someone? hey yo, tipsters. This is Melissa Morgan, host of America's favorite true crime podcast, Just the Tipsters. And what makes Just the Tipsters America's favorite true crime podcast? It's because I said so, that's why. That's okay, right? I can say that? I mean, guard! Just the Tipsters with Melissa Morgan is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Stitcher, the radio.com app, and wherever pods are cast. Subscribe, rate, review. You'll be glad you did. Ah, uh, what a year 2020's been, huh? Yeah, things have been tough for everyone this year, and we're dealing with issues we couldn't have imagined. Is everything going on in the world at the moment, and the way this year is panning out, having a negative impact on your mental health? Are these unprecedented circumstances stopping you from achieving your goals? Have you had about as much as you can take, and you're not quite sure what to do about it anymore? Do you feel like Dee Schneider in that song, We're Not Gonna Take It? Yeah, do you look like Dee Schneider in that song, We're Not Gonna Take It? I look like him this morning and I'm bald. (laughs) Or perhaps all of this is just making other stuff you have to deal with even harder. We're both big believers in therapy and there's no time better than now to take care of your mental health. BetterHelp is there for you no matter where you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. 
It's professional counselling that produces real results, not self-help. And you can communicate with your counsellor at any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. All without having to leave your house. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling and financial aid is available. And it's a service you can access worldwide. You could be communicating with licensed professional counsellors who have a broad range of expertise and specialise in areas such as relationships, anger, LGBTQIA plus matters, grief and self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient, professional and very affordable. If you want to start living a happier life today, connect with BetterHelp. And as a Bloody Murder listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com bloody murder. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counsellors in all 50 states of the USA. Get matched with a counsellor that suits you by simply filling out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs. If you don't believe us, you can check out the tons of positive testimonials on their website. So visit betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. That's betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. And now for the conclusion of the dead wives of a lubricant tycoon. According to the Gold Coast Bulletin, in August 2014, Chardon was jailed for six years after being found guilty of six historical child sex offences, including rape, attempted rape and unlawful carnal knowledge. The court found Chardon had begun grooming a school friend of one of his daughters from his first marriage when she was just 13 years old. The girl, let's call her Jessica, reported that prior to the sexual assaults, Chardon had offered to give her things and said he would help her buy her first car. He also supplied her with alcohol and said that she could be his secret girlfriend and he would take her on overseas trips. The offences he was found guilty of occurred around the time of Jessica's 15th birthday. Chardon was in his mid-50s at the time. One evening, Jessica went to a sleepover at the Chardons with his daughters. Chardon had bought the underage girls a case of lemon ruskies, which is like a really sugary pre-mixed vodka drink. He hung out with the girls drinking bourbon. Jessica said she got drunk and at one stage needed to go to the bathroom. As she was coming out, Chardon walked in and started molesting her. He rubbed her breast with one hand and then moved his hand down to her vagina area and was just rubbing up and down. Jessica said she was getting all upset and pushed him away. She felt sick to her stomach and vomited in the bathroom. Chardon got angry at her because the 15-year-old girl that he'd got drunk and molested vomited on the wall and he was pissed off that he had to clean it up. As Chardon was driving Jessica home the following afternoon, he pulled over and asked her about her relationship with her boyfriend. He asked her if she'd had oral sex and she said no. She was sitting directly behind him in the back seat of the car and he reached his arm around and started feeling up her legs. He said, I'd like to go down on you, show you how good it feels. He asked her to move to the front seat but she refused. Later, he offered to pay Jessica to clean his house. The following week, he picked her up from school and took her to his place. He gave her a cloth, spray and a broom. When she was cleaning the study, he sat her down on a chair and said, 
I'd like to really try going down on you. I think you'll like it. Jessica said she felt very uncomfortable. Chardon took her hand and led her into the spare room. He shut the door and told her to take off her clothes. Jessica said she felt scared and she complied. He asked her to lie on the bed, which she did. Chardon was naked from the waist down and said, I'm going to go down on you and you will like it. Jessica said that she was just saying no and sobbing. After this, Chardon said words to the effect of, I love young pussy, and then raped her. Afterwards, he told her not to tell her parents and offered to give her money and buy her drinks and cigarettes. He said he'd try to organise with her parents for her to come back in a fortnight. When Jessica's father arrived to pick her up, she did not tell him what had happened as she was embarrassed and ashamed and said she wasn't really sure what had just happened herself and she was very scared. Pretty much this exact same rape scene happened to Jessica again at Chardon's house and once at his factory. Jessica said she told her high school friend CW and her boyfriend at the time that Chardon had raped her. Chardon, ever the purveyor of truth and justice, told the police that the teenage girl had propositioned him for sex. <sighs> well, we know that's not what happened, but even if she did, that's no excuse. It sure isn't. I mean, just the notion of that as a defence makes me sick. Jessica's the same age as your kids and their friends, man. They're just children at that age. Yeah, I know. They still are. In sentencing Chardon, the court found he had corrupted his victim, who sat weeping as her rapist was sentenced to six years. Chardon unsuccessfully appealed the conviction in 2015. According to the Gold Coast Bulletin, Chardon was housed in Unit 3 at Woolston Correctional Centre in Queensland. An ex-inmate said that unit was for the worst of the worst and those most likely to get attacked. Rock spiders. Yeah, and wife killers and rapists. Mm. Chardon's prison neighbours included serial child rapists, Daniel Morecambe's killer, Brett Cowan, and wife murderer, Gerard Baden-Clay. While in prison, Chardon used his considerable wealth to bribe other inmates into protecting his vile ass by buying them treats from the commissary. Wife killers of a feather flocked together, Tara, so it wasn't overly surprising when Chardon became prison pals with Gerard Baden-Clay. Baden Clay had a prized book collection of leather-bound Wilbur Smith novels, which he gave Chardon the privilege of borrowing from him. Now get this, Tar. Baden Clay insisted that the people he loaned his books to had to give them a rating in a special section he created. Was it a ranking system of how many murdered wives you'd give each book out of five? A rollicking good time and very educational as well. Definitely Wilbur Smith's best work. I give this book five out of five murdered wives. Yeah, sounds about right. While in Woolston, Chardon also made another friend, career con man Peter Foster. According to the Sydney Morning Herald, notorious con man Foster refers to himself as an international man of mischief. And he's not wrong. Yeah, some people call him an international dickhole, but uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other. The Queensland-born Foster left high school early to become a boxing promoter and charmed his way not only into the pants of singer Samantha Fox, Woo! Hey baby! but also into many a scam in many a country over the years. He's spent time behind bars in Australia, Britain, the United States and Vanuatu. Exotic! 
In the 80s, he got into diet scams and spent the next couple of decades selling fake diet teas promoted by Samantha Fox and the Duchess of York's Sarah Ferguson. OG Fergie. OG Fergie. In 2005, he was banned from having any involvement in Australia's diet industry, but was later fined $660,000 when he was found to be the man behind a weight loss nasal spray scam. How would a weight loss nasal spray even work, Tara? It didn't! While living in London in 2002, Foster was involved in a property scandal in which he helped then-Prime Minister Tony Blair's wife, Cherie, buy two properties in Bristol at a criminally bargain price. According to the Courier-Mail, Foster was serving an 18-month sentence for civil contempt when he first met Chardon in early 2015 at the Woolston Correctional Centre. In a police statement made by Foster, he stated he first learnt who John Chardon was when he saw an inmate reading a newspaper story about him. Foster said he tore the article out and gave it to Chardon. <laughs> Have a look at that! He said his first impression of Chardon was that he was what we refer to as a cave dweller. This is a person that rarely comes out of their cell and does not mix with other prisoners in the unit. Much like yourself, Barney. <laughs> yeah, I never leave the no, house. No, not often. Why would I? Foster told police Chardon took a shine to him because they were both aged over 50 from the Gold Coast and the odd men out at the prison. The two of them began taking long walks on the prison oval at lunchtimes. Oh, how romantic. I bet they liked pina coladas. And getting caught in the rain. In Foster's statement to police, he said, it was during these walks that John first started talking to me about the disappearance of his wife, Novi. Foster approached the authorities, telling them that he believed Chardon had killed his wife and he wanted to help them catch him. So Foster's a cunt, but he's not a fucking cunt. Yeah, exactly. He likes to rip off people who want quick solutions for dietary things or real estate or there's a later one was a betting scam. He got arrested on the beach again this year while he was walking his dogs and some undercover cops who were pretending to be joggers tackled him to the ground. There's a picture of him like on the ground all covered in sand getting handcuffed. I saw that. It was completely orchestrated by... um. Uh, some TV show. Yeah. Oh, yeah, probably, because the pictures were just oh. too uh, too amazing, high-quality, well-posed kind of shit to have oh, happened just on no, the spot. No, they had drones flying over. Oh. They, they had, you know, those drones just filming it as well. Yeah. So they got him walking along the beach and then the cops tackling him to the ground. So basically he does he does the kind of crime that makes him money without helping anyone, which is still shit. But he doesn't, like, seem to murder or rape anybody, which makes him way better than people who do. Yeah, he's not violent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's still no angel, but compared to, like, most people we talk about, he's, he's just not the worst. After they became cellmates in March 2015, Chardon apparently boasted to Foster that he thought he had an IQ in the top 1% of the world. He thought he was a super genius because he'd managed to kill his wife without leaving any forensic evidence. Chardon also told Foster about his porn library and girlfriends in the Philippines who Foster said he referred to as his oh, little brown fucking buddies. Mm. The two cellmates soon developed a routine. Long walks on the prison oval during the day and lying in their bunks eating sweets and watching TV at night. Well, I guess it's better than getting shivved in the shower. Foster claims that the night Chardon told him he murdered Novi, they were eating lollies together and watching reruns of M.A.S.H. 
Foster said in his statement to police, John had appeared quite happy whilst he had been eating the lollies and watching television, so it took me by surprise when I looked up and saw him sitting on the edge of his bed with his head placed down to his knees looking at the floor. Foster alleged Chardon then unloaded about the killing and they stayed up all night talking. And then they had a pillow fight. Chardon allegedly told Foster he'd paid a former detective named Michael Featherstone to obtain statements from Novi's family and friends to say that they'd cited Novi in Indonesia after she'd disappeared and that these statements would be his get-out-of-jail-free card. According to Foster, Chardon claimed he'd driven to his lubricant factory the day Novi went missing and grabbed his gun after receiving the email from her lawyer asking for a bigger settlement than he was expecting. Foster alleged Chardon told him he shot Novi in the back of the head and had used a gun silencer he'd made out of washers. A neighbour of the Chardons reported hearing a gunshot on the night of February 6th, but Chardon said the silencer meant that wasn't possible. They said they heard a muffled gunshot, so it still is possible. Yeah, I reckon. According to Foster's statement, he did not say where he did this, but he told me that a 22 caliber bullet doesn't always exit the head. It can roll around in the brain like jelly. John told me if you used a 38 caliber, it would leave a big blood splatter. John gestured with his hands as if there would be blood everywhere. Then John said a 22 can make more noise than a 38, and that's why he used a silencer. While they were watching Klinger eat a Jeep on MASH, yum, yum. Foster claimed Chardon told him he had drove to Southport Seaway and was going to throw Novi's body in, but the tide was too low, so he took her body back home overnight. John Chardon then said, oh, I weighted her with moderate weight so she would go under. Oh, I punctured her stomach so gases wouldn't fill up and make her float. He also told Foster of his plans, saying he wanted a false passport for his two children and himself. He planned on taking them to the Philippines as there was no extradition treaty between Australia and the Philippines. Unfortunately, all of that damning potential evidence was said before Foster started wearing a wire. And of course, after he was wired for sound, Chardon clammed up about the killing. All he did while being recorded was to discuss his conspiracy theories about the World Trade Center being blown up by the CIA and the Port Arthur massacre being orchestrated by the police. Hmm, did he say why he thought that? Because birds aren't real. Oh, that makes sense. Foster claimed Chardon told him he cleaned the carpets the morning after Novi was murdered because his wife had vomited and pissed herself. His words. Yeah. And he kept Novi's G-string as a souvenir of the murder. Chardon allegedly claimed he developed the motive to kill Novi after she refused to back down during an argument with him at a restaurant on a trip to the US two years earlier. Foster said in his police statement, He told me that was the first time he thought that he would have to kill her to get rid of her. He was going to kill her at some time, but the events of February 2013 and the letter he received from her lawyer brought it to a head early. Foster allegedly asked why Chardon didn't just divorce Novi and he told him that she was going to bleed him dry. He's a lubricant tycoon. How dry can he get? In mid-May 2015, Foster stopped his conversations with Chardon. He told authorities, From my discussions with him, I have formed the opinion that he sees women as inferior and only to be used for sex and then discarded. I have been staggered by his lack of compassion towards Novi and how he says everyone is better off without her. Ugh. 
Foster also claimed Chardon told him he had killed his first wife, Maureen, with an overdose of sleeping tablets because she wanted more of their assets in the divorce and what he wanted to give her. Police did actually look into Maureen's death again after this, but they couldn't determine much since Chardon had Maureen's body cremated against her express wishes. Peter Foster told police that Chardon, who considered himself a wife-killing super genius, claimed he knew of an easy way that wife-killer and prison pal Gerard Baden-Clay could have saved himself from life in jail. Chardon allegedly told Foster that Baden-Clay should have put his DNA on a tree, then he would have been able to justify the scratches on his face, explaining he scratched it when he went out looking for Alison by putting his face against a fucking tree. You know, you just put your face yeah, on the tree, you put your DNA on the tree, you scratch it up a bit like that, and then uh, you just say, oh, I was looking for Alison, I got scratched by this tree. Even though it looks like a human hand. But it doesn't, it's a tree. <laughs> you know what, that was probably pretty much it word for word. But, like, the scratches on Gerard Baden-Clay's face look really human to me. Like, honestly, they don't look like... While Chardon was making high-profile prison pals, reading Wilbur Smith novels, eating lollies and watching the hijinks of Hawkeye and BJ, the police continued their investigation into Novi's disappearance. There were a lot of false sightings of Novi. The police weren't sure if they were made to try and hinder the investigation, or they were just people who honestly believed they saw her, but according to the police, none of them were credible. Mm, probably a bit of both. Well, yeah. According to Foster, uh, Chardon did have someone deliberately get people in Indonesia to make false sightings. Senior Sergeant Proctor told the Gold Coast Bulletin this was one of the most frustrating cases of his career. He said, We had a lot of strategies in place to try and obtain further evidence of where Novi was and John's involvement in it. Some of these strategies helped, some of them didn't. We interviewed everybody. There was no stone left unturned. We seized his motor vehicle, Novi's motor vehicle. We did full forensic testing on the house, the factory, the cars. And even though there was a lot of speculative evidence, there was no real smoking gun, so to speak. We always started the investigation with the outlook and optimism that we would find Novi. Around 2016, we realised we were not going to find Novi after three years. Even if we were to find her, her remains wouldn't tell us too much. Investigators put together all their evidence against Chardon and took it to the Director of Public Prosecutions. On June 17, 2016, John Chardon was charged with Novi's murder. But before the murder case went to trial, Chardon was also found guilty on more child sex offences. The incident in question occurred around a month after Novi disappeared. According to court documents, Chardon went swimming naked with his youngest children and their friends aged seven and eight in his pool. He not only asked a seven-year-old girl if she wanted a closer look at his penis, he also insisted on towel-drying her vagina quite aggressively for around five minutes, sticking his finger in her anus and telling her only he and her mother were allowed to do that. In 2016, after another trial, Chardon was found guilty of child sex offences and was handed an additional five months jail on top of his earlier sentence for raping a 15-year-old girl. This guy is such a piece of shit, he makes toilets hungry. Oh, I think you're being too kind. I am being too kind. On August 15th, 2019, John Chardon's murder trial began. He pleaded not guilty, Tara, because of course he did. Yeah, of course he did. Chardon's prison con man friend, Peter Foster, claims he was offered a million dollar bribe to tank his evidence at Chardon's murder trial. 
Foster's friend William Duffy claimed in a signed witness statement given to police in March 2019 that he received a call from Chardon who offered to pay Foster $500,000 before the trial and another $500,000 after the trial if Foster either left the country during the trial or deliberately seemed unbelievable and confused on the stand. I'm feeling that way. Can I have the money? (laughs) No. In his statement, Duffy said, I asked why he didn't go to Peter Foster and tell him this himself and leave me out of it. And he replied in words to the effect, Oh, I never want to see that little fat cunt again. Well, that's kind of a pot calling the kettle black type situation right there, isn't it? That's the fat cunt calling the fat cunt a fat cunt right there. You're not wrong. None of this proved important, though. As at the last minute, Foster's evidence was excluded from Chardon's murder trial after a Supreme Court judge found the con man would be an unreliable witness and there was no substantial proof that the murder confession had ever occurred. According to the Gold Coast Bulletin, the Crown Prosecutor and King of Shade, Mr Green, started his address by saying the murder trial is the Novi Chardon story. It's not the John Chardon story, as much as he would like it to be. He then went on to accurately describe Chardon as a pantomime villain. He later asked the jury, can you imagine what it would be like living under the same roof as that man with the opinions he had of her? The trial heard from over 70 witnesses who gave evidence about the toxic state of the Chardon's marriage and Novi's fears her husband would harm her. The court was also told about steps Novi was taking to plan her future and how she was working toward finalising her divorce with Chardon. When asked about the sexual payback for sending money to students overseas, Chardon claimed he was simply a big-hearted philanthropist. Chardon denied demanding sexual favours from the students he supported in the Philippines, but admitted to having sex with other women he gave money to for housing and medication for the kids. He said, and I quote, I'm no saint, but I never had a conditional thing with any of the people I sponsor. I used to get offered, but I'd knock a lot back because I'm not bloody Superman. But there was some, yes. The erudite prosecutor, Mr Green, suggested, maybe it's not his overwhelming charisma or his rugged good looks that has drawn these women to him. And generally, giving money for sex doesn't usually count as philanthropy. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Nor should it. John Chardon's defence lawyer did not have a lot to work with. He told the court his client had demonstrated he was egotistical, loathsome, narcissistic, self-absorbed and rude, but that he should have been tried for manslaughter, not murder, over the alleged death of his fifth wife. Yeah, that's hardly a glowing endorsement of his innocence, now is it? (laughs) It really isn't. According to the Courier-Mail newspaper, key evidence presented at Chardon's murder trial included Chardon hiring a carpet cleaner the day after his wife went missing, the email Novi's lawyer sent to Chardon about their divorce, child custody and assets on the day she went missing, the fact her handbag with her bank cards, cash and passports were found at the couple's house despite Chardon saying she'd left him and the kids, and CCTV footage of him visiting the lubricant factory to pick something up when he told police he was home all evening. 
Other compelling evidence presented at trial included talk of a box containing gun parts and handcuffs with John written on the front, which was found at the factory by an employee and given to one of Chardon's daughters who disposed of it. Chardon sending thousands of dollars to Marshal Aguilar and asking him to find a hitman to kill his wife, as well as asking him to procure a gun for him. The urine that was found on the floor of Novi's bedroom and the fact Chardon slept in Novi's bed the night she went missing, which he had not done for over a year and would not have done if he thought there was a possibility of her coming back home. Yeah, that's an odd one, isn't it? Oh, I think that was a like, this is my house. It's all mine. This is my room now. Everything's mine. Well, if you murder someone, you get to sleep in their bed. I guess that's how it goes. On September 9th, Chardon was found not guilty of murder, but guilty of manslaughter in the Brisbane Supreme Court. According to the Korea Mail, in a victim impact statement read to the court, written by Novi's friends Deborah and Frederica, the pair said, We will never be able to comprehend the grief and sorrow from all those who loved her dearly. Novi was a dedicated and selfless mother who loved her kids unconditionally. She will never see her children graduate or their joyful milestones and successful career moments, their engagements and wedding days, the joys of holding her grandchildren, all because of one selfish and sickening act. On September 11th, 2019, 72-year-old Chardon was sentenced to 15 years in prison. He would be eligible for parole in 13 years, but would be subject to Queensland's no-body-no-parole laws. In sentencing, Justice Lyons noted there was no direct forensic evidence linking Chardon to Novi's murder, but there was substantial circumstantial evidence the man had killed Novi. Justice Lyons said Novi was defenceless and clearly lived in fear of you, having told another person if she argued with you, you would get angry and kill her. Afterwards, you then calmly went about your life. You appeared as normal. Indeed, you were amazingly calm. In fact, you propositioned Novi's best friend that very day, which reveals so much about your character as a man. You clearly have no qualms about involving other people in your criminal actions. Your ability to calmly weave a web of lies is of great concern. You held off reporting her disappearance to police. When you spoke to police, you lied and then continued to lie and lie and lie. You continued that fanciful story and lied on oath. Justice Lyons went on to say, Novi was entitled to make choices about her future and plan a life without you. You denigrated Novi at every available opportunity and led your children to believe she had abandoned them. I hope that sometime in the future Novi's children read these sentencing remarks to correct the record and know she did not abandon them. She loved them fiercely. Chardon, of course, appealed the decision, but he died of a heart attack in prison on October 21st this year before his appeal could be heard. Oh, that's so sad, Tara. I was hoping his genitals would spontaneously combust. Yeah, you and me both. Homicide Squad Chief Detective Inspector Damien Hansen told the Korea Mail police would not stop searching for Novi's remains. He said we will continue to look for Novi's body and I would again appeal to any person who has any knowledge or has assisted John Chardon in disposing of Novi. Have a conscience and come forward now. I'm also hopeful that the persons who have assisted John Chardon will provide us that information, either anonymously or come forward, and hopefully we can get Novi back to her family. They've never given up hope of finding Novi's remains. Oh, what a story. 
Well, I'm glad that's in the can. Let's never speak of him again. Oh, I know. I know. It's it's appalling. And these are just the things that we know that he did. Imagine all the things that he has done and all the abuse that he has, like, put on people, young women probably, possibly in other countries, and, and just hasn't ever faced any justice for it. Like, there's no way he got done for everything that he has done. I agree. Hey, Tara, I have a question for you. Is it, do you, do you want to lie under the bed now for a while and try and get this shit out of your system? <laughs> I really want to know what this Aussie Az thing is. Oh, dude. Aussie Az are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one, Barney? Yes, I would. Today I'm going to be talking about an ex-Bandido bikey member who's built like a brick shithouse and sports a Bandido's face tattoo and an epic mullet. Does your masculinity feel a little bit threatened? No. <laughs> in 2013, Leonard Tolle went on a violent rampage on the Gold Coast and he would have got away with it too if it wasn't for those meddling bollards. According to ABC News, Leno was drug-fucked and looking for members of rival Gold Coast bikey gang The Finks to take on when he went atomic on the asses of everyone he encountered. After firing a shotgun twice from the back seat of a taxi, Leno dumped the weapon and waved down a passing milk truck. He bashed the driver and dragged him out of the vehicle onto the road. Leno then hooned off in the milk truck before crashing into some security bollards nearby. Still hoping for some wheels, Leno flagged down a bus at the nearest bus stop. Security footage from inside the bus showed Leno hop aboard the vehicle, punch the driver in the head and then get back off the bus again. Did he believe the Finks were working undercover as bus and milk truck drivers just to spite him? Probably. He then tried to carjack a woman driving past, but fortunately she was able to drive off unharmed. A police officer and his dog, Bosun, who's a very good boy, Bork. tried to detain Leno, but it took five more officers, a taser and some capsicum spray to bring the big man down. Leno was sentenced to six years in prison with an immediate parole eligibility because the former bikey had already served more than three years in pre-sentence custody. That's a comforting thought. According to Nine News, Judge Kent said to Leno, You are a large, powerful, extremely violent man who represents a danger to the community. So off you pop, back into the community. Off you go. Off you pop, pop. Yeah, be free. Before the sentencing began, Leno told his supporters that he was determined to change his criminal behaviour. He stated, Oh, my whole life I said when I grow up I wanted to be gangster and now I just realise that I want to be a man. This is my last stint. However, it did not prove to be Leno's last stint. Back at it, was he? He certainly was and he would have got away with it this time if it wasn't for those meddling bollards. What? Again? Yep, they were out to get him. On June 17th this year, Leno was out of jail doing his Leno thing. Stealing milk trucks and firing shotguns from the back of taxis. Nah, turns out he has a lot of hobbies. According to the Korea Mail, Leno was seen doing donuts in his car at the Sunnybank Hills United Service Station, but his fun was rudely interrupted when his car crashed into some bollards. Damn bollards again! Pissed about the bollards fucking up his fun yet again, Leno grabbed a baseball bat and smashed out the windows of his own car and another car parked nearby. He then allegedly used the bat to shatter the service station's glass doors too. 
Smashing. He was promptly arrested and treated at a hospital for glass cuts before being taken to jail. He did not apply for bail, which is lucky for all of us, except the jail mental health nurse who he proceeded to threaten to kill. Hopefully her employers protect the nurse by surrounding her with bollards. We know Leno always gets defeated when he's confronted by those pesky bollards. I think Leno's got some anger management issues. I think he has a lot of issues. Definitely some drug issues going on too there. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you to our new stalker, Dan from Massachusetts. Marnie from the United Kingdom. Michelle E. Goldsmith from Australia. XXL Historian from the United States times two. Uh-huh, I know. He changes his review very regularly. And Alison Salsa from the United States. Now, she said in her review that our jokes land every time. So I've put her in my will. I am leaving everything to Alison Salsa from the United States because no one has ever told us that our jokes land every time. Yeah, my kids get nothing now. You get all my stuff too. <laughs> We'd also like to thank the wonderful Lorraine for all the work she does running the Facebook group with me. Oh, she's such a top broad. She's the greatest. On you, Lorraine. Hey, baby. You know who else is awesome? Our patrons. We love them. We love them so much we've been holding monthly giveaways. Our November prize was a wraparound Russian Tara coffee mug. I drink coffee black like my soul. Sometimes coffee not enough. Sometimes morning drink is vodka. Nostravio to Soviet cosmonaut. <laughs> oh, thanks, Russian Tara. The winner of that prize was Joanne Wellmsley. Congrats. Congratulations. Our December prize is a Two Barneys Coming Up My Stairs t-shirt. Oh, two Barneys Coming Up My Stairs. That sounds kind of wrong. Uh, I assure you, it is not. It's an actual literal description. Oh, yeah, I remember that design. It's a still from a recurring nightmare I have. For a chance to win Tara's worst nightmare on a T-shirt, <laughs> be a bloody murder patron at a level of $5 or there's, above. There's but... not just one, Barney. There's two of you. Now, we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program, so thank you to KK. It's Chris Kringle. Chris Kringle into house. Mitchell Worst. Peter Bolland. Peter Bolland. I bet he likes bollards. Kevin Core. Erin Harvey. Ben Heath. Lydon Sheridan. Vicky Jory. Camilla Wilson. Brad Chivers. And Saxony Corby. Thank you so much, all of you. If you would like to support us, visit our website or if you just want to buy us a drink. There's a... <laughs> Go on, do you coughing? <laughs> no, I didn't. I just I sounded drunk then. That was good. I want to be. Yeah, you. I look, knowing how fast you drink, I reckon in half an hour you will be. Well, anyway, if you just want to drink, there's a PayPal donate button there too. And who's buying the drinks this week? Alison Frolich. Thank you so much, Alison. Yum. Yum. I've been Barney Black. Exotic. And I've been Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts, our IMDB listing, or our Facebook page. You don't need to write a well-crafted essay. Just five stars and a hey, baby, would still count. And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us keep our genitals from spontaneously combusting. Yeah, we don't want that. Mm. Follow us through our Facebook page or join our Facebook group. On Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod, and Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news galleries, more episodes, and links to our fabulous Fredless merchandise. Thanks so much for sticking around, and we'll be back real soon. 
Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. And see you next Tuesday. Yeah, see you next Tuesday. <laughs> we don't even uh, release episodes on Tuesdays. You're going to confuse yeah, everybody. Yeah, you'll be late. You'll be late. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was pretty epic, huh? Ah. Uh, hey, you know what? What? My girlfriend is kind of corporate and she works for this big corporate, you know, entity. And for their Christmas party this year, they're having a virtual Christmas party, right? So they send her this hamper of all this stuff and there's this huge gingerbread Christmas house. Oh, wow. Right, a bottle of champagne and smoked salmon and prawns and stuff. All all, all in like shrink-wrapped bags and instructions on how to heat them up. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to sit here... Get a little bit tipsy on on champagne and eat all this posh food. That sounds awesome. I bet I'm not going to get nothing from my day job, but I mean, I'm hardly ever there, so serves me right. Hey, bloody murder is your day job. Actually, it gave... is my main job now. Yeah. Where's my fucking Christmas hamper? You bloody oh, well, wall. You never hey. had it. You never even had a bloody Christmas hamper. Hey, maybe we should do a Christmas bonus or something. <laughs> I don't know. I want a, I want a big gingerbread house made of spam. Well, I was thinking, because I have a, a female friend who's uh, taken to drunkenly grabbing my ass lately. And even though I tell her she needs written permission to do that, she's not having it. But if I could summon a fart on cue, that would probably put her off more strongly than me chastising her for her uh, illegal butt grabs. That's a good plan. That's a solid plan. Yeah, but I can't. I can't just summon that, that, that butt air. I don't have such good control over it as you do. Can you just summon them? Can you do one now if you wanted? No. Imagine if you could transport a fart like a, over a long distance, convert it to radio waves and then convert it back to its natural form. And, and who would you send one to, or, or where? Well, to your enemies, or your <laughs> friends. <laughs> would they know that that's what you'd done, or would they just go like, ooh, what's that? Would it be like well, a haunting fart, or would it be like well, a Well, yeah, they'd hear it and smell it. But, of course, my invention would also, you could colour the fart. You could put in a nice, like, motley green into the smoke, mm, into the gas. Fart. Like a ghost. So it'd be, that'd make it more fun. Some nice colours in it. Yeah, that's when you send them to your friends and you want them to have a good time with it. Yeah, like a rainbow thing. Oh, you could send it to like homophobic people. You could send them a rainbow fart. <laughs> or a gender reveal party. You could send them a blue one for a boy and a pink one for a girl, which I don't believe in, by the way. I, ah, I think gender I, reveal farty. A gender reveal farty. Yeah, <laughs> that works, doesn't it? I suppose so. Yeah, people keep doing those. Yeah, I bet they'll, they'll, be, they'll be shocked at some point if the, the colours turn out not to uh, be the destiny of the soul that was born. But hey, we don't give passes to people who are asses, but otherwise we're pretty sure. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, maybe investing in a few skirts to wear this uh, summer. Yeah, you can mix it up a bit. You want to show uh, off your hairy legs a bit? Yeah, I do. I do. And, uh, you know, like uh, the collots I was wearing and uh, jorts, maybe this is the next step. Maybe. 
I don't know. You you gotta you're probably not very familiar with your thighs knowing each other very intimately, wearing pants usually. But if you move into skirt territory or squat territory, your your thighs will get to know each other. And when oh, it's really? summer, they don't always agree. Oh, because they rub together. They can do. They can yeah, do right. if it's particularly sweaty. Oh, well, I guess that's the risk I'm willing to take. Well, you know, we'll just see how that goes. I mean, you know, it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of hustle in your bustle. No, you've got to have your... some muscle hustle in your Russell bustle. That's what a Russell Crowe says. A bit of wind up your jacksie. Mm, so you're, yeah. so you're going to do it kilt-like with no underpants? Yeah, a bit of a gentle breeze on your tuppence. Oh, dude. I don't know. I can't handle tuppence unless you're like a British drag queen. That's the only time I'm okay with tuppence. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a gentle breeze on your dexticles. On your dexticles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's lucky we're not more famous because otherwise he could get teased for that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, his words, not mine. Yeah, well, still, you know. <laughs> Does he know how much you talk about him on the podcast? Ah, uh, no, he doesn't. It's, pr- it's probably for the I best. I wonder if he'll listen back as an adult and be like, "That bastard." <laughs> Well, remember that time? Do you remember that time I got a Transformers T-shirt, and I was wearing it to impress my son? Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, and and my girlfriend said, "Are you wearing that just to impress your son?" And I and I said, "Do you think he noticed?" And uh, <laughs> and he looked at it. He went, "Oh yeah, that's all right." And I went, "Oh, okay." I'm guessing it wasn't Bumblebee then. No, it was just a big Transformers logo on a shirt. And uh, no, he wasn't that impressed. Yeah, he's at an age where it's, you know, it's harder to impress him now. Mm. Although he did like it when I was calling you Famous Anus. I didn't like that. That's the best part of hanging out with your kids. We get to swap our nicknames for you. (laughs) 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 Those boys are savage and I like it. (laughs) Oh, they are pretty savage. That's true. Well, you know, in their takedowns of you. (laughs) Your kids and I have that in common. It's a strong bond. Mm. Yes. Dexter was asking me about the, the the vaccine for COVID, you know, and we're all going to get a shot. And uh, he said he got a shot in the arm, you know, for, for some vaccine he had a couple, a couple of years ago, and he did not like it, and it made his arm hurt. And he said, will it, will it, will it be in the uh, arm again? And I said, no, no, they have to do this one in the eyeball. Oh, and he went, oh, well, I'm not, definitely not having that then. I'm No, 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 not my eyeball. <laughs> and I went... It's okay. It was just a joke. It'll just be. In, it'll just be in your arm. It won't be in your eyeball. Possibly your penis. Possibly straight in the dexicles. One in each one. And <laughs> went, <laughs> no, no, no. And no, it's all right. It's going to be in your arm. It'll be okay. See, your oldest son's like me. He knows better than to believe anything you say that we don't already know to be true. He just won't believe you, like me. Well, you know, Mo had a needle at school the other day. And I said, what was it for? And he said it was for genital warts and, uh, <laughs> or something. I don't know that they're vaccinating teenagers against genital warts, but it mightn't be a bad idea. Well, I said, did you get any, like, documentation on this? And he said, oh, yeah, here's the piece of paper. And it was for um, it was for something else. It wasn't genital warts. Really? So he was, like, he was bullshitting you the way you bullshit him? <gasps> How no. dare he? No, he just wasn't paying attention and he'd seen a film on genital warts that day because they show him those films that put him off sex for at least 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) 
about, Look, you know, might diseases. Look, something on by that shit. I mean, it might make him want to do it more. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember watching those at school. They were horrifying. I don't recall seeing any of them. No? Oh, oh yeah, I wagged a lot of school, though. Oh, there you go. Down the yeah. back oval with my friends smoking ciggies. Hi, I'm Kathleen Turner. <laughs> <laughs> I still feel terrible about that. Oh, no, honey. Oh, I'm sorry. Would it make you feel better if I got you a I Love Kathleen Turner t-shirt? No. Let's never speak of it again. You know only like one person we know saw it. <laughs> yeah, and so I looked at it. amazing television debut. They kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.